0: predictions are dangerous we absolutely need more inventory the fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation that cash has dried up wow is my first thought bruce if both parties don't win it doesn't happen the real look trending news today's wednesday march 8th i'm bruce hardy and i'm chase williams this is the news you need to know I thought this was pretty interesting. Goldman Sachs tells us that 99% of borrowers have a mortgage rate lower than 6% or the current rate, and around 28% of those have rates below 3%. So when you hear those numbers, what's going through your mind?
1: (laughs) There's a lot of happy homeowners that have a rate that's historically low, and maybe a lot at rates, Bruce, we may never see again in our lifetime. Who knows, right? Certainly, that creates a challenge considering the inventory we're hoping will come on the market and the lack that is coming on the market.
0: I agree with you. And that leads us to this whole situation we're in right now where we have continuing supply shortages of inventory. And I think that a lot of people will keep their houses longer, right? And that creates these challenges. And we already know, right? We've got supply shortages. That's holding current housing prices higher. And we know that affordability has been an additional challenge, and not just because of the higher prices, but also because of those elevated rates that we're now seeing. So, yeah, I think this is interesting. I think it is good for a lot of homeowners. It's why we tell people to invest in real estate. It's a great opportunity. Home prices actually fell in January, pulling back by just under a quarter of a percent from December to mark the smallest monthly decline in seven months. And that's according to Black Knight and their Mortgage Monitor report. In fact, the annual home price growth rate fell to 3.43% in January. And that's more than a full percentage point below the 30-year average. What do you think about that? I mean, we're starting to see this pull back. Do you think we're going to see a massive price drop in inventory? I don't, Bruce. Certainly not anytime soon. And I think, like
1: you said, it is because there's still not a lot of inventory. And until we get to that seven, eight months worth of inventory, it's really hard for prices to pull back a lot. Now they're slowing. The growth of them is slowing and they're moving slightly, right? But not enough to really impact meaningfully this affordability issue we're seeing, right? For example, it's taking 33.2% of the median income, median household income to make a monthly principal and interest payment on the average home purchase. That's actually up slightly from January's 32.4%. But we're talking about an affordability challenge. It's significantly above the 30 year average, which is 24%. There's a real challenge that exists there, Bruce. And until we can get a much higher, much higher level of inventory in the market in terms of months of inventory, I think it's going to be real hard for prices to come in as much as some of those potential home buyers would like.
0: Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about that, you would think, oh, well, inventory would go up because things are slowing down. And yet the months of supply has stagnated at about 3.1 months of inventory. And that is because fewer homes are coming on the market. And, oh, by the way, fewer people are buying now that we've seen rates spike up close to, well, actually, not just close, but over 7% again.
1: Yeah, I think you've got homeowners, Bruce. They're looking at their monthly statement of their mortgage rate, you know, hey, 2.1%. I'm surprised they don't start posting on social media almost like a badge of honor, right? Like, hey, I got a 1.9% rate. What'd you get, Bruce? All joking aside, that makes it really hard for people who may even be considering a move but don't have an urgent need to now consider trading in a two point whatever rate for the going rate, which is nearly triple that. And I think that's causing a lot of potential home sellers to pump the brakes, like you said, and stay in their homes longer. That's going to be a continuing issue for us, I think, in terms of supply that
0: we're hoping to get. Well, those artificially low interest rates that we saw really caused us as an industry to borrow buyers from the future. If you look back in two thousand and twenty-one. Mortgage originated volume was around 4.3 trillion with a T. And then we saw things as rates started to spike up last year, that volume dropped down to 2.4 trillion. So 2021 was an anomaly. And again, I think we did borrow those buyers from the future.
1: Yeah, I think we did. You know, there's another piece of this story, Bruce, that I want to point out, and that's that the delinquency rate continues to fall down 10 basis points to 3.38% in January, which is down 15% year over year. So yes, we've got homeowners with incredibly great rates. We've got a super low delinquency rate, which is good, right? We want people to pay what they owe. And so again, you just don't have the flood of inventory that you would hope to see, or at least an increase in inventory that you would hope to see that's going to help out with this affordability issue. And as
0: rates continue to move up or stay well above 6%, it's an issue. And we've reported on this before, Chase, and that is, right, the median credit score of the borrowers is 770 points, right? Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, over 45% of homeowners have 50% or more equity in their house. Oh, and we'll have news coming out at the end of the week, which we'll report next week, and that will be the jobs report. For all intents and purposes, at 3.4% unemployment, we are fully employed. So again, all of those factors come to play. That's why you're not seeing those delinquencies. We talked about the fourth quarter was a tough quarter, right? Last year, in my mind, Chase, was the tale of two markets. We had the first half of the year, and then we had the second half of the year. And the second half of the year was very different to the first half. But all of these publicly traded companies in the real estate segment have been reporting their fourth quarter financials. We've seen massive losses across the market through the end of 2022. The fourth quarter was a tough quarter. A lot of companies lost a lot of money. Secondly, cost cutting seems to have made a difference for some companies. And then thirdly, there were some surprising big announcements in some instances in which companies grew despite the slower market. We reported anywhere right the holding company that owns Cowell Banker C twenty one Corcoran Better Homes and Gardens Sotheby's their loss of four hundred and fifty three million in the fourth quarter alone, and that was a year over year spike of a thousand and sixty four percent in the mortgage market Rocket Companies the holding company they lost four hundred ninety three million which was the first time they've actually lost money since going public, and then Open Door. They lost three hundred and ninety-nine million in the fourth quarter, which was more than double what it burned through the year before. And Offerpad lost 121 million, and that was a record for that company. We reported last week, Redfin, they lost sixty-one point nine million, and that was up from twenty-seven million during the same period last year. And then of course the two big eye buyers, Open Door and Offerpad, also revealed that on average they both lost more than $20,000 on every home they sold in the quarter. What do you think about that, Chase? A fourth quarter
1: was a relative bloodbath for the real estate industry in a lot of ways. It makes sense, right? You've got this steep, steep decline in the number of mortgages, the number of homes being sold in the fourth quarter. And that's following a, a pretty significant ramp up of those same numbers the previous number of years. And so these companies have grown and grown and grown and grown in order to handle the additional demand that they were servicing. And then when that fell off the table, they just weren't able to pivot quickly enough, as is often you know, nearly impossible, to avoid some pretty significant losses. I think there's a lot of us who are happy to see the fourth quarter go bye-bye and hopefully to never return. But you're right. I think there's been some pretty big announcements that we're going to cover, as well as a widespread tough back half of the year. You mentioned kind of the tale of two markets, and certainly we'd like to forget the latter.
0: You know, it certainly wasn't the worst year ever, right? But like you said, it was how quickly the market turned. When we look at annualized home sales, and we share those numbers in our State of the Industry report, and Gary shared it with us in the vision speech that he did at Family Reunion, what we saw was the latter half of the year, the annualized sales numbers were about $4 million, even though in the beginning of the year, they were over $5 million. It was really quick slowdown, and we talk about this, right? You can see revenue drop at a much faster rate than you can cut expenses. And by the way, that was the second piece, right, of really what came out in these public reports was the cost cutting. And the results were mixed, right? Compass described 2022 as one of the worst years for the real estate market. And I find that a fascinating statement, Chase, because they've only been around 10 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I would tell you 2008 felt a lot worse than last year. But Compass nonetheless still managed to trim its losses. And to be clear, the company did lose $158 million in the fourth quarter. But that was actually an improvement compared to the same period in 2021. CEO Robert Refkin said that thanks to cost cutting, the company is now on track to be free cash flow positive this year. Help me out here, Chase. What does that mean, (laughs) free cash flow positive?
1: Free cash flow positive. That's a great question, Bruce. Maybe that's just a bait and switch for not talking about how many millions of dollars that you're losing each quarter. I'm not really sure what that means, to be frank.
0: You know, mate, I think it's pretty interesting, right? Let's come up with some of these new terms rather than talk about profit and loss. <laughs> Zillow also managed to trim its losses. In the fourth quarter, it burned through 72 million, and that was an improvement compared to the 261 million it lost in the fourth quarter of 2021. Redfin saw its net loss more than double despite cost cutting. CEO Glenn Kelman said cuts should allow the company to turn a profit in 2024. Again, everybody's doing it. Everybody's talking about it, right? We've reported on the number of layoffs across the industry, and that's a big part of their cost cutting. You know, cutting $202 out of your budget is not an easy thing. No, not even close. And of course, some of these
1: results have been reflected in the public markets, Right. On Wall Street, if you will, and some of these stock prices have been down pretty sharply. Offerpad is actually at risk of being delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. That's how rough of a, a back half of last year they've had. So there's definitely a little bit of a kind of low confidence, if you will, in what happened in real estate in the fourth quarter from Wall Street. But again, Wall Street tends to be a little bit of a "What have you done for me lately?" Lately, as in the fourth quarter, real estate industry didn't do a lot for Wall Street, so I'm not surprised that how they're reflecting some of these stock prices. As you mentioned, it's not as bad as it's ever been. We're obviously hopeful for a little bit brighter future when we can get some of these things to even out and stable out a little bit. We've just had such a dramatic drop from what we experienced over the previous years. These companies and a lot of us in the industry feel just a little bit of shell shock, right? Even if we were anticipating it, it's hard to rationalize how you feel regardless, even if you were thinking it would happen and you weren't surprised by it. It still hurts a little bit.
0: Additionally, out of these quarterly earnings reports, a couple of companies made some big announcements. First came during CoStar's earnings, when the company revealed that it was no longer interested in acquiring realtor.com. You know, CoStar is a massive company. I think their valuation is around thirty billion dollars. They've been a huge player in the commercial industry for years. They're now going to play in uh, residential and really have set themselves up as the major competitor for Zillow. So what thoughts do you have about this announcement, Chase, that they're no longer interested in acquiring Realtor.com?
1: Well, this was a big announcement not that long ago we reported on, Bruce. It was a little bit of crickets out there in terms of, yes, the news was put out there, but there wasn't a lot of commentary on it. The thought of them potentially acquiring Realtor.com, which would be you know a, a large number two, although even a distant number two from Zillow, was kind of a big deal. But it seems as if their intention will be to Double down on homes.com, which is a brand that they already have, rather than going and acquiring realtor.com to continue to try to be the rival of Zillow with homes.com, at least according to some comments by CEO Andy Florence. So I don't think they're done competing there. I don't think they're done trying to be the antagonist of Zillow. It looks like they're just going to go out at it a different route.
0: You know, I think it's actually a smart move on CoStar's part because they, they do have homes.com and the purchase price that they were talking about for Realtor.com was $3.7 billion. Is it better to buy an asset like that, or could you go build it for less? Great question. The second big piece of news that they sort of slipped in was Compass. Robert Refkin revealed that his company is exploring the possibility of franchising, which is fascinating to me. If they do franchise, they wouldn't put any franchise units in markets that they currently have company-owned offices. What sort of Goes to your head as you listen to that.
1: You know, Bruce, this one was probably maybe the most fascinating for me. Oftentimes franchising is thought of a method for raising capital. And considering the amount of capital that Refkin and Compass have burned through (laughs) with their losses, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise. They gotta figure out a different way because I don't think anybody on Wall Street is about ready to give them anymore. I could be wrong, of course. Weirder things have happened franchising, again, is traditionally thought of a way for raising money and for a method for growth, right, to be clear. So that seems interesting. It also seems interesting to me to have both, you know, company owned offices and franchises. Now they're saying that they're not going to be in the same markets, but that will be definitely a departure from their growth strategy thus
0: far. I think you're serving two masters, right? And you can see in a time like this, chances are they're going to be pouring into their company-owned stores. So I find that really fascinating. And, you know, we've been in the franchising game. We're very clear as, as an organization at Keller Williams, right, that we're a franchise organization. And we have been literally since about 1987 or so, right, 89 maybe. And it's a learning curve, right? How to succeed, because your relationship with your franchisees is very different than having them as employees. Now we're really into partnership. I think it'll be fascinating for them. They probably look at it and say, okay, here's a way we can go sell franchises and raise additional revenue quickly. And yet there's uh, a lot more work involved than I think they're fully aware of. One of the things that was interesting about this fourth quarter, right, as, as rough as it was... The competition for talent hasn't slowed down, right? A couple of companies that have been the darlings of the media of the last few years, right? Is EXP and Compass. And they've both been growing at a tremendous rate. Compass has been doing it, buying people, right? Offering big checks and incentives for people to join their company. And EXP sort of got into that as well. Both of those companies saw their growth rate slow in the fourth quarter. In fact, for the whole year, EXP's agent count grew by 21%, and that's a slower rate of growth than the company is accustomed to. Much of that growth happened in the earlier part of the year rather than during the fourth quarter. It's significant that even in a downturn, they did grow. Compass's head count grew 18% in 2022 for an average of about 13,073 agents. And in the fourth quarter alone, Compass grew its agent count by just over 100 I think that
1: regardless of headwinds in any industry and certainly in ours, there is still opportunity to grow if you're paying attention to the right things, doing the right things, et cetera. And of course we know that agent count is one of the most commonly talked about metrics when we're thinking of growth of real estate companies and fairly so as it's typically the best predictor of profitability, that agent count metric among others, of course, You know, you've got Compass that has been growing the entire time and still can't seem to turn a profit, right? So it's not the end-all be-all, but certainly you're going to have to get to some sort of size and scale in order to accomplish any goals that you have as a real estate company. And I think that there are unique opportunities for gaining market share in a downturn. It may be even harder to grow, but that growth is probably market share that you'll never give up. When the market turns around. So, as a company, I know we're highly focused on that as well. These two companies were able to continue to grow despite now what we're starting to see, Bruce, is the National Association of Realtor numbers go backwards in the last 60 to 90 days. And that's, of course, the law of equilibrium. As things tighten up in the marketplace, the number of realtors getting into the business slows down. And the number of realtors getting out of the business speeds up, right? And that'll lead to an overall lower agent count. I think some predictions are we could lose three to 400,000 agents just this year in terms of NAR stats. So we'll see if that happens or not, but it's starting to. And it'll be interesting to see which companies make the effort and frankly, get the result to improve their market
0: share even while that's happening. In fact, we grew in 2022. And when you look at it, Chase, even over the last couple of months where we've seen dramatic reduction in agent count at NAR, understand that Keller Williams represents 12% of all of NAR. Mm-hmm. And yet we aren't going backwards at the same rate that everybody else is. So, I mean, that's good news. And like you said, if you focus on the right things, you can grow in spite of any market. And I think you said something really brilliant. Any market share you gain in this market you won't lose when the market turns. Again, I come back to our mission statement, right? We're here to help our people build careers worth having, businesses worth owning, lives worth living, experiences worth giving, and legacies worth leaving. We do that by growing, by adding more people to our organization so that we can do that for them. So I'm really excited about that. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode, where we'll interview Kerry Hughes with Keller Williams Realty Professionals in Portland, Oregon. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe to The Real Look and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of all things real estate.